Good morning, Confirmands, wherever you are. You're spread out this morning across the different areas here. I've been asked to uh, provide the sermon this morning, and I couldn't be more honored to do so. As a mentor, I have listened to you respond to Diane and Henry and to Reverend Lisa and Reverend Lynn over the past six months, and I have to say that I've come to understand how deeply you guys think about your spirituality. Bravo. Keep it up. Only God knows where this can carry you. Um, but you don't have to do this alone. Look around in this, this sanctuary right now. We have lots of good people to help you get along this path with the, with the help and spirit of Christ in, in the midst. I attended about a half dozen of your training sessions, and quite frankly, I was a little bit worried about how much was being thrown at you with all of the theology and, and requirements of the church that, that came before you. But I was really surprised that you handled it quite well. The Pharisees, in the story that you just heard, knew that there were 613 laws that the Jewish people had to know and to obey in order to be right with God. And I think this worried Christ himself because when the Pharisees challenged him with this question about which is the greatest out of all of these, he chose it as a teaching moment and decided to give the answer that he did, to love God with your entire heart, soul, and mind, which is really some ways quite easy. It basically says, love God with everything that you have. But then he came with this second command, and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor is easy to say, but it's really sometimes hard to do. But who is my neighbor? Is it the person sitting next to you? Is it my teacher at school? Is it the lady behind the cash register who's had a bad day? Is it that woman who stands on the corner Jesus taught us that it is all of them. Everyone on this earth is your neighbor. And so that's the challenge, that loving your neighbor is so hard to really do. And here's the catch. They determine whether you love them enough. They determine if you respect them. They determine if you are trustworthy. You don't set the expectation. They set the expectation. Just as you set the expectation for them and how you want to be loved. This is why it's so hard to love your neighbor as yourself. I would love to share a set of principles that I was taught over 20 years ago, and I was taught these principles right here in this church. They're called the heart principles. They were developed by a man by the name of Roy Trueblood, who developed them specifically for the Methodist Church because of the concerns that he had at the time of some of the, the challenges that we were having in relationships right inside of our church. And so I want to go through these five elements or five principles with you today. Principle one, hear and understand me. Notice this is stated in first person. Others want you to hear and understand them as well as you would have them hear and understand you. Hearing and understanding are two very different things. Hearing is the physical process of listening, but understanding 
is interpreting what you've heard. I hear you guys like stories. Can I tell you a story? <laughs> Let me tell you about Tommy. Tommy. Tommy went home one day and he asked his sister, said, where do I come from? Sister's eyes got big and she started hemming and hawing and said, you got to go ask mother. So he goes and asks his mother, mom, where did I come from? She takes a deep breath and she goes into the birds and the bees and finally gets kind of flustered and said, go ask your father. So he goes to his dad, said, dad, where do I come from? His father goes down the same path with the birds and the bees. He said, dad, I know, I know all about the birds and the bees and that stuff. Tommy, excuse me, Freddie came from St. Louis. Where did I come from? (laughs) Notice that each of those people of his family members heard him. They got his question, but they didn't get the answer right. Because it's a challenge between hearing and understanding. Hearing is clearly impeded by distractions in life. How well do you listen when your smartphone keeps going off in your pocket? How about that confirmance? How often do we have to kind of say, put the phone aside. We need we need your undivided attention. These things are great at quantities of information, but I'm not so sure about what they do for the quality of communication. Along with that same thing is the music earphones that you see plugged into adults' heads and the children's heads. It's tuning out. You're not able to communicate with those folks. But if you want to hear a counter to that, let's think about Jesus with the woman at the well. He sent his disciples away to go grab lunch, which left him alone. And he's at the well at 12 noon, the hottest time of the day, when virtually no one is there except the woman who's too embarrassed to come out except when everyone else is gone. And he listens through everything she has to say, including her pain, and recognizes what she really needs is living water, not just water from a well. Another source of impediment to hearing is the biases such as age, Gender, nationality, political affiliation, or what we wear or how we act. Should we discount people just because they're different from us? I don't think that that's what Jesus would have us do. Here's a little exercise that I want everyone here to participate in. I want you to think of that person in your life who is so significant and so important to you Because they listened and understood you better than anyone else. Could have been a teacher, a mentor, a coach, a parent, a spouse. Whoever that person is, I want you to focus on them for just a moment. Now do me a favor and close your eyes because I'm going to share a poem with you. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. You can open your eyes. Did that come close to describing that person for you? Yeah. 
Is he or she Christ-like in their behavior? I offer this to you. Think about becoming that person in this poem in your own personal life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone could say that that poem described you? The second principle is, even if you disagree, don't make me wrong. Sometimes when we are engaged in deep discussions about important things, we have different opinions where there may be a tendency sometimes to use negative language as we respond to one another. Examples are, no, that's not the way it is. Or anyone can see that's not right. Differences are important. They need to be shared. But the challenge is to learn to offer your opinions without putting others down and running the risk of shutting them down. Pick a practice of saying, may we consider it this way? Or Lynn's personal favorite, you just might be right, but let's consider something else here. Let me show you another technique that avoiding negative conflict. I need my four confirmands to come up here for just a second, please. What, what I'm going to ask them to do, Chase, come on. Evan, thank you. We haven't had a chance to talk about this yet, but all I want you guys to do is stand and hold hands. I know that's tough for four guys to do. And kind of step back just a little bit. They're perfect, perfect, perfect. Now, let's pretend that they're all standing with a mountain right in the center right here. And they're all looking at the same mountain. Their arms are very long. Keep that in mind, okay? Each sees something differently. Michael here is looking and he sees a waterfall. Chase sees a very green vegetated surface. Evan's looking at nothing but a cloud. And Wyatt here is looking at a desert. They're all looking at the same mountain. But if they chose to try to describe the mountain to one another right now, there would be no way that they would get it right. So I'm going to ask for you to unbolt those two hands right there. And I want you to walk around and look over each person's shoulder in the circle. Just look over their shoulder. Look into the center of the mountain. Thank you. Now, y'all could sit down if you'd like. Appreciate what you just demonstrated for me. What? What, what, what Evan did was he showed the patience and the energy to go look at the mountain from another perspective. And often the mountains between us as people needs someone to take the time and the effort to walk around and get the full picture of what it is so that we're not just lobbing things back at one another. We're doing so with a basis of knowledge. So the moral to this tale is don't share your point of view until you find a common viewing point. This next principle is the one that I have the most difficulty with. Remember my loving intentions. I think Duji will confirm that for you. Let me give you some practical examples as we see from time to time. We think that a political party may be more righteous than another. Or which religion might have the better theology? Or maybe it's an argument about the best way to bring up the children. 
or how to treat the in-laws when they're over. This reminds me of an example that was shared, oh, almost 20 years ago. And it was when I went to the Million Man March promoted by the Promise Keepers organization. It was in Washington, D.C., and a million men and women, a few, um, were there on the mall of Washington, D.C., and they stretched everywhere from the Capitol steps to the Lincoln Memorial. And about every 150 yards, there was a jumbotron so that we could all keep up across the entire mall of what was going on on the main stage. The opening was by Max Lucado, and Max asked everyone's attention, and he said, I want to start our day together by asking everyone at the top of their voice, at the count of three, to say, what's the name of the church you're here representing? One, two, three. There was a roar that was deafening, and you could not, it was unintelligible what was said during that roar. He said, okay, now I'm going to ask you at the count of three to name who is your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Jesus Christ. And it reverberated off the walls of Washington. And what he did for us that day was removed us from our pettiness and our self-righteousness and kept us centered on what's really important. And we need to do that every time we get into these discussions, rise to a higher level, one in which we can find the value of what's really right. The fourth principle is tell the truth with compassion. Simply stated, we must confront our obstacles, but we must do so compassionately. Jesus confronted his adversaries and occasionally his disciples. In every case, he did so with loving compassion. The confrontation process that this calls for is one that must be owned by the confronter. It starts with thoughtful analysis of the situation, thorough preparation, and commitment to a compassionate engagement. The particular elements of a healthy confrontation are too numerous for me to deal with today. They didn't give me enough time for this sermon to do that for you. But I don't want to leave you in a lurch because this is a very important element of the heart principles, and that is to tell the truth with compassion. This program, I told you, was developed over 20 years ago. It is called Partners in Ministry by its official name. And a group of us, a a previous associate pastor here, Um, Ron Campbell and his wife, Jerry, and Ducci and I looked at this program and said, there's no reason that this couldn't be partners in marriage. And we converted the whole program to just a marriage retreat weekend. In doing so, one of the things that we wanted to do is take all the elements of a good, properly compassionate, um, telling the truth with compassion And we put it into a prayer. It's called the call to the Holy Spirit for carefrontation guidance. Because we thought that it should be a carefrontation, not a confrontation. This is on our website. If you go to today's sermon, click on it. You will take you right to the link that brings you to this. So I didn't want to leave you in a lurch. You still will get, if you would like to follow this up, you'll get the full element of it.
I save the last principle to the end because it's clearly the most powerful of the five. Acknowledge the greatness in me. Loving your neighbor is about lifting them up. Tell your neighbor what you love about them. When we criticize and find fault with our neighbor, we just remind them of their brokenness and shortcomings. This church is full of broken people who just want to feel good about themselves. We know the pain of life. We don't need to talk about failure. What we need is a genuine smile and to hear our name. We need joy, not sadness. We need to know that we matter to you. Jesus brought love and a smile everywhere he went. Build someone up and make a friend for forever. Jesus called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. These heart principles go a long way to building trust and respect as a foundation of loving our neighbor as ourself. These principles are great on Sunday, but they're even greater if practiced Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And they're critical when you come home. They are universal. Jesus took the entire Torah with its 613 rules and simplified it down to two commandments. Then these five principles help us then create the loving relationship with our neighborhood. Neighbor, excuse me. We have just just a few things to remember with these, these five elements. So a piece of cake, right? No, it's not. John 13 in the scripture as it was read, tells us that just before Jesus left his disciples, he gave them one more commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. That last clause requires us to go well beyond trust and respect. We must know the heart of Jesus. And you know that we have to go, in order for you to know that, we have to go way back into the Bible and follow that trust and respect in the heart of Jesus. When we go back to the New Testament, we have to glean what it is to to walk in the sandals of Jesus. Here we get the full picture of what it means to love one another as I have loved you. His mercy, his compassion, his devotion, his teaching, his patience, his grace... His humanity, his generosity, his kindness, his love, and so much more in this book. What is good for us is to model these Christ-like attributes. But if we don't do so, what's it worth without trust and respect? How can I show mercy if I don't do it with trust and respect? What is compassion if done without trust and respect? What value is generosity if it's given without trust and respect? Can you even call it love if it's not given and shown with trust and respect? I hope you will see that these heart principles offer a simple foundation that is skill-based to build trust and respect. Christ commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves and furthermore to love them as he loved us. How many of you have seen the movie Avatar? Okay, quite a few of you. I caught a few minutes of that the other day in the gym when I was working out. I was really captured by the Navi or the blue people. Remember the blue people in this? They had a practice of placing their hand over the heart 
of a person that they were encountering. And they did so to find out what was in their heart. If a Navi were to place his hand over our heart, what would they find? I hope it would be a genuine love for our neighbor based on a foundation of trust and respect. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.